And thanks to Cry Malt, supplying premium malt for 25 years, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. Good to be back. G'day, listeners. Good to have you back, regularly, and all that. Yeah. Oh, well, three in a row. Third, if this, if this what is done. it? Three is three time a charm. Third time's a charm, or is two yeah, well, times let's a just, charm? Let's get the third one first. Right, well, we're, we're, we're yeah, then, well, that's, and that's then, true. Then gloat, shall we? Re- recording isn't doing as we uh, know in the past. But anyway, Pete, uh, welcome back, mate. How, how's your week been? Yeah, not too bad. Had a nice little trip. First week of uh, school holidays for those of the uh, parent variety uh, listening out there. So, you know, it's always a challenge to find something interesting and different to do. And I was lucky enough the week before up at the uh, very successful this year uh, Bendigo Craft Beer Festival to um, have a beer with Ben and Aaron from What's River Brewing. And they invited me uh, up to a very special honour and a bruise news first, I think. Um, Would you come up and spin our wheel of hops? Yeah, pardon? Yeah, exactly. Um, their Gabs beer for this year, they decided, uh, we're gonna, what do we do? We'll you know, do something a little bit different. So they decided to, to make a pale ale, but then they uh, contacted Vintani, who their their hop supplier, and got a list of sort of all the available hops that they could get, you know, in time, around about 30 or so. So what they've done is they've, um, Aaron went on eBay and, and got a, a, a prize spinning wheel, which he then converted into a, a, a hop wheel. So the Hop Wheel IPA will be the Watts River Brewing Gabs beer this year. And uh, I was honoured to be asked to come up and spin the wheel and pick the um, so the a couple of Whirlpool hops and a couple of uh, dry hop additions. And uh, so it's come up with something quite interesting. I think it'll be it'll be really nice. A couple of um, newish um, one from the from the Technang family called Mandarina Bavaria, a Bravo. And what else do we get? Um, I'll have to go back. Anyway, I'll, we'll we'll link to the. Um, the stunningly high quality produced video that we made while we were doing it. It was a lot of fun. And and interestingly, Matt, a lot of um, feedback from um, punters and brewers, you know, what a great idea. What a great way to sort of make a beer. I felt a little bit, uh, I guess, um, uh, like a, a fraud thinking, oh, well, yeah. So, so designing beer, uh, designing a great um, new beer comes down to me spinning a wheel and seeing what it lands on. But, you know, it was all done. You can control. Bit of a, a hops lucky dip. Sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we also, uh, interestingly, the boys in terms of, you know, working out the malt um, had uh, a series of SRM numbers from, uh, I think, about 10 to round to 19. And so we also spun for, for the colour as well. So so now they've got to build the malt bill to, to achieve, uh, I think it was a, it ended up on a 16 SRM on the colour scale. So Look at look out for the gaps. Okay. Well, I still haven't tried any of the uh, Watts River beers, so uh, I'm very keen yeah. to. Yeah. Well, they do. A, they'll down be down there. Um, a core range. They've got a, a blonde, an IPA, and a stout in their core range. Um, but I was lucky enough to, obviously, being at the the sort of the gateway to the Arrow Valley down there um, in Hillsville, for those who know. Um, and the boys, we've spoken to them here on Bruce News X White Rabbit, and they've actually set up digs in what White Rabbit had as the sort of a, a barrel storage sort of area. So of course, being at the foothills of the or you know the gateway to the the Yarra Valley. The boys have got access to some um, interesting barrels, and they've done a you know I guess like a car park series where they um, a bit of spontaneous fermentation out in the car park, and it picked up a beautiful, very interesting kind of Brett note. And we tasted it just just from the barrel, so it's you know uncarbonated at this point, but a really clean, nice. I guess what Ben Krause is achieving with the Furder with his Brett series through Mayday Hills label, which is it's not all about being, you know, so barnyard you can kind of taste the dags but just that essence of just a wild yeast doing its thing in a very clean Mm. and and almost you know uncontrolled controlled way if that makes sense Mm. oh it sounds interesting yeah i know we have had them on the show but that's about all i know about what those guys are doing so it'll certainly be good to try their beers down at cabs look forward to it now i did say that you were lucky enough to get to watch river and do that (laughs) and it wasn't all a week of good luck for you uh, last week well it probably was i guess possibly you know dodge a tsunami bullet i guess i was um i was at the airport i was actually at gate five in terminal three at uh, melbourne airport in the virgin lounge waiting for um my flight to coolangatta which was then cancelled along with every other flight going in and out of coolangatta for the day so unfortunately i wasn't able to get up to byron for the aiba collab brew the four-way brew but we should say that the AIBA each year do a collaboration beer between the... The champion breweries. Yep. Yeah, so the large, medium and small, and this year for the first time, the Gypsy 
brewer because it's the first time a gypsy brewer has been eligible for the trophy and won it. So that was uh, Hendo from Brew Cult, Pirate Light Red from Pirate Life made it over, as did uh, Danielle from Two Birds and the boys obviously at Stone and Wood, which uh, um, sadly the brewery tour that I would have made it up there for was cancelled because the Mwilumba brewery was inundated and uh, evacuated. And then... Did it actually flood? Uh, well, the, they sent everybody home. They sent it, you know, closed it all up because the, the surrounding area was inundated. Mm. Um, but I don't know that the, the brewery itself, I don't know, maybe the brewery floor might have got a bit of a, a clean out, just a bit of a unplanned hosing. Don't know. And then the brewery down at Byron, they, they did get the, the brew underway and then um, Coolangatta Airport opened again, but unfortunately the Pacific Highway was closed. So, And as I say, look, you know, we've had uh, people suffer a far worse fate than, um, you know, not being able to get up to a brewery to uh, watch a, a brew. So while it was disappointing, you know, certainly not the worst thing that could happen. Oh, well, it, uh, yeah, it was pretty wet up here. I, I, I can say that much, but, you know, then again, it's, uh, people have had it much worse in, in, in other places. So, uh, but anything else that's uh, happened? Any, any other news across your bowels? No, that's about it. No, my bowels have been fairly clear of news. Thank you. <laughs> but there was this week a, uh, a bit of news on the website. Um, Firstly, the uh, Hawker's Brewery, Muzzin Hadja, um, has employed the first brewer in Australia on a 457 visa. Yeah, Dan was, he's been there on a, whatever the particular work visa is, and his skill level and that sort of thing, obviously coming from the States, where things are far more advanced, far more brewers, um, and I guess, you know, the scale of brewing over there is way ahead of Australia, obviously, in proportion to our small population and, and large brown land. And so it was a case of applying for a 457 visa to continue his his sort of stay, which has proved to be successful. So it's, it's possibly setting a, a precedent. It's certainly um, brought a lot of comments, both positive and negative. And I think the best thing about it is that, you know, as Mazin is wont to do, it starts the conversation because I think a lot of people don't realise that it's not taking jobs away from people who are already here um, because the reality is the skills aren't here. Yeah, and, and, and that's an issue that we're looking at in our uh, Cryer Malt Trade Hub on the Wednesday of Gabs is one of the sessions we're looking the at. Wednesday, good, good, good beer, beer week. week. Sorry? Yeah, yeah. Gabs doesn't quite go for a no, week just no, yet. Sorry, good beer week. But skills in the brewing industry is one of the issues that we're looking at. And we're going to be speaking to guys from the Institute of Beer who are doing a TAFE course in New South Wales. We're looking at getting people from the IBD we're hoping to have Chris, who's a regular listener, from the CBIA and find out what they're doing and uh, you know, probably even uh, somebody from uh, Federation University to talk about skills there and uh, looking at the various elements of the skill shortage in the brewing industry because you know, for a long time, brewing, brewing skills wasn't really a focus. They were, the big houses had their own development programs. Their staff tended to go through the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. There were some brewing courses around, but as we've seen, a rapid expansion in the number of breweries and therefore the number of brewing jobs, trying to get those skills. And whilst a lot of home brewers have uh, gone from the home brewing world into opening their own brewery, when you are an employer or a, a brewery looking for you know not just enthusiastic and knowledgeable staff but actually trained and skilled staff that's where there's a bit of a, a disconnect so you know some of the bigger craft breweries like stone and wood um, have an intern program and uh, you know staff development program and we are seeing uh, some but ultimately there aren't enough people out there with the brewing skills that a lot of uh, the, the bigger um, craft breweries want that's right and yeah and not even close um, but the other thing too, I think that's probably worth pointing out at this point, Matt, to our listeners who who may still be a bit, a bit confused about how the, this particular 457 uh, issue has come about and how it's worked and, and why it's been granted, is that it's not just, you know, we talk about home brewers. In a lot of respects, yeah, it's just scaling up. And no offence to, to brewers, but, you know, starting at the bottom, working your way up, it, it, that, that's not a skill. You know, you, you're learning those skills, but then you get to a certain point where, it's all about it's it's ock health and safety. It's it's handling hazardous hazardous materials. It's dealing with trade waste. It's uh, HR. It's um, you know raw materials, logistics, all those sorts of things. So the guys who have done that in the big breweries and or you know even the smaller breweries in the states, um, that those are the skills that they're bringing here. That hopefully then the guys who are in at the entry level now will have somebody to actually teach them that. Because uh, because it, it's going to take a while. It's not, it, the government's not going to make, wave a magic wand and say, you know what, let's mm. let's develop a, a course at each of the you know state universities to teach all this stuff. No, it's it's, it's not going to happen. You you should already be coming in with the skills that that are already being taught in terms of you know microbiology and 
you know, chemical engineering and all that sort of stuff. But it's the, it, yeah, it's, it's as the technology grows and our industry grows, we need to grow with it. But we can't make it up as we go along. Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's directly related. It probably is a little bit related. But with the number of breweries that are opening up, you know, I have seen there is an acceptance for people uh, when a brewery opens that maybe the beer isn't going to be quite on song or the beer, you know, takes a bedding down period. It takes six or seven months, you know, in a couple of brews before they sort of start getting consistency and things. And to my mind, that's quite an interesting approach. You know, if you went to a restaurant that had just opened down the road and, you know, your souffle was sitting flat on the uh, on the plate instead of rising, you wouldn't just say, oh, well, look, I guess, you know, it's going to take him a while to work out how his oven works. No, no, you, you expect to have perhaps some, a little bit of clunkiness in the service delivery or, sorry, we're having a bit of trouble with the point of sale system or, you know, the tickets are printing upside down, you know, whatever it might be. So there might be a delay in your fit, but the food itself has got to be right. And I think we don't accept any more. I, I think you've got to nail it on the first go because I think people now are smart enough to realise you should have brewed this a couple of times before you actually put it in bottles and sold it to me for real money. So when I uncap that, pour it, mm. I don't want fizzes. Uh, I don't want them flat as a shit Carter's hat. I want the beer that you intend me to drink, not, well, this is this is pretty close and we're going to get towards something better because um, I think, you know, you don't get a second chance to make a, a good first impression. Yeah, and but, you know, then, then again, you sort of see some breweries like, uh, and, and a great example, um, I think he's a brewery like Green Beacon, that, you know, when they started, their beers were, as they sort of found their, their way around, and I think then they got on a very skilled brewer. Um, it was a, a brewery where the owners were going to be a little bit involved, but they had a background outside of the brewing industry. They got on a brewer, and last year they were the champion medium-sized brewery. And, you know, it's a great example of that breweries can come on. In the CBIA. Just we shouldn't get... In the CBIA sorry, yeah, awards. Yes, yes, yeah, so, yeah. Sorry, sorry in, the, in the craft beer um, awards, um, not the AIBAs. But yeah, so and, and we are starting to see, you know, so it's not that if you open and you're still learning your system that you're not going to get there. But I also think that, you know, four, five, six years down the track, you know, as more and more breweries open, the you know, opportunity for breweries to open and find their feet, they're losing the, the chance to do that. I think that time has passed a little bit, the operations that we're seeing, you know, a much more professional operations and uh, actually that's not a bad segue into just the number of breweries that we are hearing that are opening you know just there's a lot of money and i described it yesterday some of the breweries that you hear and some of the professional investment behind them that it's not just a couple of home brewers who have bought some stainless and are, you know going pro these are you know 50 heck uh, breweries with professional investors or serious investors getting involved in them you know, Prof, I don't know what to make of it because, you know, there's a lot of talk about whether there's a, a beer bubble, whether there's a brewery bubble. But when you see the amount of money that's coming and, the, and a whole lot of people who are coming from outside the industry but see the brewing industry as the place to park your money and get a return, I do have a few concerns about the sustainability of it. And I you know, compared it yesterday uh, in a Facebook post to Is Craft Beer the New Alpaca Farm? I don't know if, if you remember that about 15 years ago, alpacas were the thing that everyone was putting their money into. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a fairly dated reference. I, I, maybe 25 years ago, I think alpaca farms were... Was it 15? Uh, no, it was. It, was, it was in the 2000s. Um, and, and well, I'll link the article because it was a relatively recent, I think it was about 2005 that they were talking about the alpaca bubble bursting. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you know... Like, but, well, Nothing worse than an alpaca bubble bursting. <laughs> yeah. But no, you, you do make, you make a good point. And I think, I don't think we should be surprised that, you know, craft beer all of a sudden now is the cool kid and everyone wants to get into it. Um, and we shouldn't really be surprised that some people are getting into it, not necessarily because they want to, um, you know, foster the craft beer ethos or they want to create an artisan product or they want to, you know, reach new markets and all that sort of thing. I think, like you say, a lot of people um, are looking at it. And we've seen, you know, a fairly big group who's who's bought up fairly recently um, a couple of breweries, as well as um, a lot of venues over the last few years. Um, and clearly that, that's that's not to, you know, create an empire um, that sort of makes and sells its own beer through its own venues that it owns or anything like that. That's, I, I would suspect, looking at um, creating a product that somebody else then wants to buy. You know, it's it's, it's building an empire that, that, that then is for sale. So we shouldn't be surprised that that, that will happen more often because, Money attracts money, or you know, it, it will keep going over the next few years. I'm sure. Exactly, and, and hype attracts interest and investment, which is one of the things. But it's also craft beer is a very, 
very attractive industry because we all like the idea of having our own venue or our own brewery or, or our own beer brand um, that we can sort of point to and say, that's mine. And particularly if it looks like it's a booming industry and people think that they're going to make a, a better than average return, you know, it's better than, you know, an index fund on the stock market or better than buying an investment property, we can make a great return and have fun doing it. Um, so you can understand the attraction. I just don't know that, yeah. you know, there is the money there. The craft beer market is growing and it continues to grow and it, by all accounts, it continues to grow strongly. But in the early days of any industry, the returns tend to outperform than when you do get a lot of players and there's a lot more competition. And we really are seeing a lot of competition in the market. And, you know, yeah, I, I don't see, particularly in Brisbane, there have been a lot of venues that have opened over the last 18 months or two years. I don't see that many more venues opening. I see more existing venues, particularly some of the bigger ones, starting to, you know, whereas maybe they had nine of the 10 taps with Lion or CUB. We're starting to see that get down to maybe 60 or 70%, and then you know, Asahi or Coopers or one of the big guys will get another one, and then they'll have one rotating tap of craft beer. And we are starting to see that sort of demand. But even those bigger players are starting to look at the quality and price and some of the other aspects, not just the coolness of the brand. Um, and as more and more players enter that market, price is going to become... One of the things, and again, that's going to mean that if margins are already a little bit tight, they're going to get even tighter, which means that the people who are looking at a big return from their investment maybe aren't going to get those returns. Yep, yep. And look, we'll also see in terms of that downward mm. price pressure, um, some of the smarter breweries now are working on ways that they can uh, uh, you know, take on larger amounts of, of raw materials and that sort of thing, um, or you know, bottle contracts or labelling or whatever it might be so that they can either keep the price the same as, as uh, perhaps the smaller ones are forced to push theirs up or to, you know, perhaps bring out secondary brands that um, that they can bring out at a, a lower price point. Yep, yep. And, and the, the big guys are certainly gearing up as well. You know, we've seen uh, Lion, which has had Kosciuszko bubbling away in the background, is getting a bit of scale. Um, they bought Byron Bay that they're going to, you know, grow locally before they, you know, sort of gradually expand. They've bought your Monday. The plan seems to be do the same thing for that. You know, make it a, yep. a, a, a entrench it in the local market and then uh, grow. Um, and you can tell Matt how serious they are because another bit of news that popped up while we were on hiatus. Um, Chris Sheehan, who was uh, heading up the Malt Shovel um, Brewery, has been appointed to um, to look after Yamundi and I think Byron. Uh, he's going well, to be perhaps. yep, and and the charming squire up in Brisbane and uh, yeah. yeah, so which is um, so that, that's in some seriously good hands. A shout out to Chris, who's um, one of his loveliest blokes, and um, and particularly, I guess I often bump into Chris and, and have to speak to him when there's either waves of abuse or or controversy directed at Lion, um, and he just he takes it on the chin, and you know we have a good chat, and as you often do over a beer. Um, a lot of time for Chris, so I think that's that's in very good hands. That that I think speaks volumes for how Lion are looking at treating their their craft brands. Yep, and and we're going to see uh, CUB. You know, they're about to launch Goose Island. The, the brewer from Goose Island is going. One of the brewers from Goose Island is going to be on one of our future of craft beer panels at the Cryo Malt Trade Hub um, during Good Beer Week. And actually, if anyone's listening, you can come along and try the Goose Island IPA that we're going to have uh, on on tap as part of that. They've kicked in a, a keg of that to make it worth your while coming along um but yeah so cub are going to be gearing up and all of this is going to be competition and so while the market is growing the demand for craft beer i just see that the volume of craft beer available growing at an even faster rate yeah for sure so to mash a to mash a, a well mashed phrase it all goes well for the future well it, it all goes well for the future for the beer drinker certainly um yeah exactly but again yeah so uh i mean i'm far too risk averse to be putting my uh hard-earned this the small amount of hard-earned i have into a uh into a stainless steel brewery that's for sure yeah no leave it to the uh the guys who are already doing very well in that space but talking about uh, new brands, a beer that's going to be coming out by the time this podcast comes out, Prof, uh, let me throw a name at you and you tell me mm, what on. you think of when I tell you this. Is this like a Rorschach ink blot test or like a word association thing? You, you throw a word and I get to say what the first thing that comes into my head. Yes. All right. I love it when we don't rehearse this. <laughs> Bob Hawk. Right. Okay. Um, well, yard glass. Yard glass. Um, yeah. Yeah. They'll be serving all their beers in yard glasses instead of 
schooners or so, well, growlers or whatever. It, it, it's funny because uh, yesterday, yesterday when this program goes to air live, uh, so tomorrow when we record it, there is the launch of Hawks Beer, a new brewing operation. A couple of ad guys uh, have decided that beer industry is a fun industry and they want to bring a little bit more to it. Um, so they've created... Hang on, just, just checking the date. It's the 5th of <laughs> April. This is just a little bit that behind. Was... In all seriousness, because we have, and, and listeners, we um, Matt said, here's one I'm not going to tell you about. We'll do it live you know, as we record. So I don't know anything about this. But the first thing now I'm thinking is you, you can't have Hawks beer and Hawkers beer. Uh, How, yeah, how's no, that got through? Well, they're, they're not the same word. And it's, it's, as it's, a, name. it's a name. Surely it's... A, there's an yeah, arm missing. The there's an arm missing. That's it. Trademark that you can take out doesn't have to be. I mean, Muzzin may have Hawker's beer, but Hawk's beer is a different word. And the maybe their trademark. You don't think there's going to be confusion? It's quite possible until you see the decal, which is a big uh, photo of Bob Hawk. But I don't think if you saw the packaging. Mm. Okay. Uh, okay. Now, well, that's just the first thing I thought. Not that I'm trying to, you know. You're not trying some... to go all brew dog on them. <laughs> not at all. I just no. I just think that's very interesting that it would have got this far. Yeah, well, quite quite apart from that, it's more a case of a couple of guys from the ad uh, with backgrounds. I was going to say, you also, you lost me at a, at a couple of guys in the ad business, but go on. Anyway, well, yeah, and so they decided Actually, that... be telling me there's a beer you know, being brought out by the AFL footballers. <laughs> Funnily enough, there is. Um, again, talking about you know the, the attraction of the uh, industry, people with a little bit of money to, in, to invest, but actually don't have a background in the industry, um, which is Noble Boys Beer. But anyway, uh, back to, to Hawks Beer. So uh, yeah, it's a couple of guys with backgrounds in advertising, um, a, th- a third fellow who's got a background in beer sales and uh, in, in wine sales, decided that they wanted to have a beer. And their story is, when we thought of somebody you'd like to have a beer with, the number one person you'd like to have a beer with is Bob Hawke. Now, I mean, that doesn't quite ring true. Right. Bloke who cheated on his wife, who, mm. yeah, fair dinkum. That's that's the best we can come up yeah. with from well, ad guys. And, and that's what I thought. Now, I had a sort of quite a long chat with them yesterday. And, uh, you know, they said, well, you know, you can draw a straight line between Bob Hawke and beer. And I said, oh, yeah, well, what is that straight line? Like he gave it up for however long, swore well, off it because it was he, evil. He swore off, yeah, <laughs> so it was pretty much that's, he swore off a straight beer. line. And his, um, you know, excessive consumption, rapid consumption of it. More recently, he uh, he, he does drink. Um, he's and... also famous for drinking thin pissy lager and sculling it so that, well, there's no well, flavour in to, it to anyway. Well, to be fair, so... everyone was drinking thin pissy lager back in those days. You know, that was... Not, um... from, not from yard glasses in competition form. No. And more recently, he's been sculling at the cricket. Um, you know, anyone who holds up a cup of beer in front of him plastic cup he, he yeah. sculls it um you know much to the chagrin of um possible consumption of alcohol groups yes, um, but yeah so and so i asked them about that where are they based well they're based in sydney interestingly enough um a good friend of the show uh not Justin... marrickville is it because there's no there's no room for any more breweries in marrickville no no That's no no their contract house brewing. full sign is up <laughs> their contract brewing justin fox um formerly of colonial and now of bintani um and a good friend of the show is doing their consulting brewing. Apparently they tried out a few guys, got onto Justin because they wanted the beer to be good and the beer is being contract brewed at Colonial. You know, so, so any beer that starts up in this very crowded market that we just alluded to needs a gimmick. It does, yeah. Um, it or needs, needs an, an angle, something to make them stand out. So you can see that. Um, and particularly if you're a contract brewing operation that doesn't really have a home that you can go to or a touchstone, you, you need an angle. So I can see why... You've gone looking. But, you know, again, and it's no respect to uh, Mr. Hawk, as they like to refer to him, but, uh, you know, Bob to his mates. Um, it's no surprise that he is a figure that you would look at. And, uh, you know, he has been a prime minister. But is he really the guy that you want to be launching a beer brand? Um, and, and, and I wait with, again, we'll know the answer to this when this comes up, and I might update it in the show notes. But tomorrow when he uh, pours that first beer, I'll be very interested to see. I will bet that the first question that the media ask is... Skull it for us, Bob. Um, and if he doesn't, you know, even if they do so say, well, look, we're not going to do that, there is no shortage of B-roll that they can pull from YouTube or even the historical photos of him with a yard glass that is going to be the image that Trot accompanies the, the photo, yeah. which is actually a bit of a shame because apparently the deal is that Bob Hawke has come on. Um, he's agreed to, uh, you know... Um, lend his name and his face. Beer, lend his yeah. name and his face to it. In return, whatever his share of the profits are or whatever his share is, and they were very cagey about what the funding model was, but I'm sure that Bob Hawke's a, a smart enough guy that he's uh, nailed it down, that, it, that the share that Bob Hawke would otherwise get 
it goes to Landcare, which again is a very, very worthy charity. Mm. Um, but you know, that being the case, I still don't know why Bob Hawke's name is is on the label because as as we found out with Coopers, having the you know what you see as good intentions Putting, yeah. doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that the message isn't subverted by what the public hears. Um, yeah, watch this space, I guess, and good luck to them. I mean, look, you're not going to get a better brewer um, consulting for them than Foster. Exactly. So the, the beer is going to and, – and look, and Colonial is beautifully set up to create faultless beer. Yep. Um, and under the, the watchful gaze of, of Ash Hazel, um, he's not going to let a, a dud beer out, even if it's, you know, under somebody else's name. Um, so I don't have any issues there with the – you know, I'll, I'll rest easy knowing the who's – who's brewing it. But yeah, we will be interesting to see. Yeah, particularly when we saw that uh you know like uh, you know, CUB um eventually had to apologize for what they regarded or they admitted was a misstep in having Booney involved. Um you know, Booney is a much loved Australian. A lot of people would like to have a beer f- with him, but his one claim to fame in the beer department was drinking 52 beers on a flight. Was it 52? 52 is the, yeah, the, the, the urban legend number. The, the urban legend. On, from, on, on, from on the, on the flight to, yeah. Um, and, you know, even well, Sydney, though they Sydney didn't Heathrow, promote that, they, they didn't sort of celebrate that and he didn't talk about it, the fact that that association was there meant that, you know, CB some years later had to say, well, maybe it was a bad idea having him associated with VB. Uh, well, there's also a big danger then when Canadian Club threw a heap of money at him to come out and say, I'm over beer. And I, I prefer Canadian Club and dry in cans. Well, who's to say that Bob won't come out and teetotal again? That's it. That's who, there you go. That, <laughs> that's a good point. But anyway, yeah, no, look, it, it, but it, it is interesting. And it says a lot about the state of the industry that, you know, something that may otherwise be a fantastic beer when you are looking for an angle. But, you know, again, uh, we, we, won't, we, we won't know until this podcast actually comes out what, what has happened. And, uh, speaking what speaking of, um, of guys that I would actually far prefer to have uh, a beer with than Bob Hawke, um, and the list is, is, is long, um, a quick shout-out to another of um, beer's nice blokes um, who celebrated 50 years in beer this year, Dermot O'Donnell. Absolutely. Congratulations to Dermot. And I was hoping to get down. I was invited to the lunch. Did, were you invited to the lunch, Prof? No. Sorry. No, it, all go, it, all, it all goes through you. Well, no, I was invited. James I was, was invited. I presume that you were invited. Scraps. There you um, go. No. Matt, sorry, I, I, should have, uh, I, I should have thought that, but uh, yeah. Yeah, the guy who could walk there rather than, or would you prefer to spend, you know, Sydney and Brisbane airfares? Well, no. Or, well, or you could have the guy who can walk well, there. To, to be honest. No, we won't invite him. Well, the invitation came. And, and you know, we, we get it invited because we are a, a multi-regional operation. We do get invited to things that aren't necessarily in our backyard. Well, you might. I don't. Yeah, go on. What were we saying? Oh, you. No, well, you were being flown up to. Um, go on. It's not a competition. Uh, Byron Bay. But anyway, but you know, I was, like, yeah, so I was invited. James Thanks. was invited. That was on my own coin. And and ask the <laughs> ask the usual question. Oh, look, would love to come. Does this include an airfare? And you know, particularly when you're a multinational uh, brewery, uh, they they quite often fly people around the world, or you know, at least around the country. Didn't come with a ticket. Um, and. Quite often, I do fund my own uh, travel to, to these sorts of things, uh, particularly when it is a great guy like Dermot. Um, but I had a commitment the day before, commitment the day after. It was going down strictly for that. And, yeah. It so it's a long way Yeah, it's a long way to go for a lunch. Just for lunch. If, if I could have, yeah. you know, if we could nice have got together and recorded a podcast um, during it, that would have been fantastic, but that just wasn't going to happen. But anyway, that's all, that's all by the way. Um, yes, good point. Uh, Dermot is a fantastic guy. And we will try and make time to sit with him during Good Beer Week um, and uh, record some of his reminiscences because uh, you know, he has really been involved in so many different beers and so many different phases of the Australian uh, beer industry that uh, it would be great to sit down and not just uh, record it by Skype, but actually sit down and have a beer with him and uh, talk to him about it. And that's probably an episode where you'll have to do over a couple of, uh, over a couple of uh, episodes. Yep, let's yeah, put that in the diary. But speaking of people that I did get to sit down and uh, have a beer with, actually, we, we didn't have a beer, but we did sit down uh, face-to-face uh, on my recent trip to Adelaide when I spoke to Tim Cooper. Um, I also caught up with Michael Cameron. and had the uh, quick tour of Pirate Life Brewery, which is apparently already at, you know, bursting uh, at its seams and they're going to be building a new brewery. And uh, But I caught up with Michael Cameron and had a little bit of a chat about the first couple of years of Pirate Life 
how things are going as they've ticked over the million uh, leader mark and uh, yeah, a few of the things that... Well, don't give it all away. Let's just chat to him. Michael Cameron, thank you uh, for joining us again on Radio Brewers News. Mate, my pleasure. Right, thank you very much for the tour of the brewery. It's, uh, you, you've certainly expanded a lot since you opened just uh, two years ago. Yeah, it was uh, our second birthday celebrations last Sunday, so uh, it's been an in interesting couple of years. Um, uh, probably grown a hell of a lot faster than we anticipated, but uh, it's been a great journey. It sounds like you've really been running just to sort of stay ahead of the market. You have had explosive growth. Yeah, it's, I think, um, you know, as we were talking about earlier, is, uh, is our growth we've had through the, uh, the off-premise business, business around Australia has uh, really not only surprised us, but it's been terrific. So it's allowed us our strength. You know, we're an 80% package business, uh, so our strength in package business has allowed us to continue to grow really quickly. I don't know whether you're unique in having such a um, big off-premise brand, um, and 80% is a huge part of your volume going out in, in, in package. Is that something that you set out to, to, to create or is that something that's just happened? No, I think uh, if you look at it from a sort of mathematical point of view, uh, you get the sense that uh, with the, particularly if you, you talk about uh, taps and, and uh, on-premise, um, with the amount of uh, taps that are contracted by the big boys, which we, we, we know we live with, we don't necessarily like, but we live with it, uh, and, the, and the new habit of uh, rotational programs which um, pubs now run, which I agree with 100% because I think it's the best way to get interesting beer through to the, uh, through to the customer, and the growth of the amount of craft breweries in Australia. You know, it's, uh, from what I can gather, it's up around 400 now. So just if you do that into a, put that into a mathematical formula, it makes it really really hard to get high volume uh, high volume growth on, on premise where off premise you've got you know thousands and thousands and thousands of, of, of bottle shops uh, some that are really focused on on high-end high quality craft beer but as that develops up a lot of the bottle shops are slowly getting to understand how you know craft beer can really help their um, help their bottom line and uh, and customer flow through. So uh, we've you know, made a genuinely serious decision to follow that track. Uh, so the majority of our sales around the country now are um, you know really experienced in the uh, in the off-premise market. Uh, they understand uh, working working with uh, cases rather than kegs. And and bottle shops do seem to have a little bit more loyalty. They they're willing to keep. Um, a little bit more regularity, they will play around. Probably a small portion of their stock will be what's new to, to appease people who are looking for something that's new and interesting, but they do seem to keep a, a, a much stronger core range. Yeah, well, they've got more space. If you, if you look at the, let's say, the average you know, bar has got eight taps, well, he can only play with eight taps, where in the, uh, in the uh, bottle shop business, they've probably got room for 30 or 40 different SKUs or 50 or 60 or, or even more. Uh, so they'll, they'll stick with the ones that uh, sell and then they'll drop off the, uh, the, the, the low-hanging fruit, which is a normal business practice, uh, and keep replacing that. But they've just got a lot more space uh, to be able to showcase uh, you know, different styles of craft beer. And how important was having cans and getting that really strong uh, retail? Oh, m massively, massively. And uh, when Red, Jack and I made the decision, it was about a 25-second discussion. Uh, we all wanted to go cans. We'd, um, you know, having worked overseas, we had a sense of where... The, the can was going um, and uh, you know in two years the amount of canning lines that are now in Australia the amount of breweries that are putting beer in cans um, the amount of international uh, international breweries that are bringing cans in there's no brainer as far as we're concerned. You raised the uh, topic of tap contracts before and said that you didn't like them but it, it is the market uh, there's been a lot of discussion about that with uh, line leaving the CBIA and suggestions that the uh, CBIA will be able to advocate uh, for, you know, against tap contracts. At the same time, we're seeing a lot of smaller brewers you know, forming uh, formal or informal arrangements with venues to make sure that they are keeping their beers on certain taps. Do you think that uh, tap contracts are, you know, anti-competitively, are they hurting the industry or are they just a fact of life in, in, in the beer business? I think they're certainly hurting the industry. 
but as I said a minute ago, is, is it, let's say the TAP contracts disappeared, then that will open the market up for further rotation. So you've still got 400 breweries, they're all making two or three beers each, so there's, there's, 12, there's 1,200 um, you know, different SKUs out there that are chasing that tap point. And I still think it's always going to be a battle because I do hope that the, um, the publicans continue the rotation program. Um, yes, there is a lot of uh, craft breweries doing small contract arrangements, um, that's here to stay as well. Uh, but I, re I really think that uh, yeah, it'd be terrific if um, if the decision came down in favour of the craft brewing business, so that the, the, the big guys could uh, get away from the tap contracts. But I think I still think it's going to be a real challenge. Do you think if uh, tap contracts uh, change dramatically, and I might even take a step back, we, we're really seeing you, know, you walk around Adelaide, you walk around Sydney, you walk around Brisbane. And inner city bars have a very high representation for craft in all of its forms. Um, and the small guys seem to be really heavily represented in metropolitan venues. But you don't have to go too far from city centres and you're not seeing the same penetration of craft. Um, and when you see that craft is maybe 6 or 7% of the Australian market, I'd be willing to say that you know, it's probably 30% of inner city bars um, and much less in, in outer suburbs and regional uh, Australia. If TAP contracts suddenly left tomorrow, do you think that we would see you know, a rapid change in consumption or you know, is craft making big inroads? Well, craft making big inroads, but I think the, uh, in, uh, the, the discussion you're talking about within the city, I agree with, but like anything, five years ago, only 30% of inner city bars were uh, craft uh, fans. Now there's a much bigger percentage. Uh, I'm a great believer that regional, uh, suburban and regional bars and bottle shops will continue to grow. You know, we've taken a we've taken a uh, a bit of a plan to um, move out into regional Australia. You know, we were out in Orange the other day. And I'm going up to Armidale to do a tap takeover. I think there's a massive opportunity outside of the city centres, and I think that's where a lot of the growth will come, uh, not only uh, on 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 premise but also off premise. And I guess that raises a, a good point. At the moment, I don't see that there's huge demand out in the regional centres and it's brewers going out and creating that demand for it that will, I think will ultimately give publicans a reason that you know, when they renegotiate their tap contracts, it's not going to be 90%, it'll be 50% or 30% or, or not at all. Our, our philosophy on that is that when we started up, we did tasting after tasting after tasting, and we have a firm belief that our business and any craft beer business is about getting beer in people's hands and getting to try it. Right, so we've done. I think that we've done that really well in in the inner city area. But I don't, and we're not going to stop doing it in the inner city. But I, I think our focus will just move a little bit into uh, suburban and, and regional areas. And once you start the education process, as I call it, where you can get beer into people's hands, getting them to taste the unique flavours of craft beer, getting them to start to think about what they're really drinking, then that's when the change comes. And, I mean, you described your 25-hectare uh, system in there as the hardest-working 25-hectare-litre brewery in, in the country. I reckon, you know, when, when you look at you and Jack and Red and the, the rest of your team, you'd be one of the hardest-working brewery teams um, on a promotional sense as well. You are out everywhere and you seem to be willing to take on that responsibility for not just harvesting existing demand but going out and creating demand for craft beer and for pirate life. Yeah, I think I don't think we're any more hardworking than anybody else, uh, but I think we've got the uh, we've had the opportunity because we there is three of us that uh, that manage the business, uh, plus we've got a, another team of um, seven brewers who are all you know passionate about what we do. So we have the ability to you know uh, spread a bit further than a lot of breweries. You know, most breweries are one guy trying to do everything, and he doesn't have the time or the energy or or, or simply the the, the, you know, the time is the big thing for him. He said, "How can I get out and do that?" Where you know we can afford to be doing a you know a two or three tastings out Adelaide on any one night of the week we can we can have a couple of guys in Melbourne uh, but we don't spend a lot of money on marketing but we do spend a lot of money on tastings and that's probably the difference between us and a few others is we just believe in the the power of the tasting uh, we, we talked off air about a, a an article I posted on Facebook that was looking at some closures that have happened in in, in the US and uh, you made the comment that the you know, when you read the article, the, the, the brewer sounded like a really lovely guy, very, very passionate, um, but he came from outside the industry and uh, they were running a tasting room for three days a week because they wanted to have a life. Um, there, there is, whilst people talk about this craft and this lifestyle of beer, 
it is a business and it's a fairly hard game, isn't it? It's, uh, any, any, anything that you're involving your money or other people's money is a business. And it's, there is no brewery in the world that's been successful without truckloads of hard work. It is seven days a week, you know, 24 hours a day. If you're not working on it, you're thinking about it. Uh, and that's the only way it can work. And it's, uh, you know, I, I wasn't being critical of the guy in the US, but you know, he, he was only doing this. You know, his, his income was coming from his uh, on-premise restaurant. You know, then you've got to make those decisions. And they're business decisions and business lifestyle decisions he made. And you know, the story uh, you wrote is what's, what's happened. But I think uh, any brewer, and whether it's uh, you know, guys in Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, they, they're, all working their, they're all working their ass off and, uh, and will continue to do so because that's the nature of the industry. We love it. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's not a job to us. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's just the way life is. We, we're in the brewery business and uh, we work hard at it. And, and you come from a, a long history of both being in the beer industry in a sense, but in the hospitality industry. So you you, you approach your brewing business as an extension of that. Yeah, I think you know, being in the pub game for thirty odd years now, and, and having understood what the what it, what the sort of energy it needs to actually you know run a pub and a restaurant, but more importantly, having worked in the US and uh, and travelled a lot over there distributing beer, everybody everybody's working hard, and it's um, you know you just uh, head down, bum up, and away you go. Where do you see the Australian market at the moment? Do you think that will that with the rapid opening of breweries, that the number of breweries is soon going to get ahead of the demand curve, or uh, we're going to see a shift towards bigger breweries? Or you know, what's your feeling about the market? I think there's a, there's a couple of models that I, I like. I think the model of a, a brew pub um, can work, and I'll use an example of the Wheaty uh, here in Adelaide, and uh, since Jade developed brewing their own beers, and I don't know for sure, but I'd suggest maybe her turnover hasn't grown as much, but I know her profitability must have because she's making her own beer and the margins are better. So I think the, true, the brew pub model can work, um, and that can work nationally and uh, without any drama. And then there's a model that we've probably taken down, and, and perhaps you know the likes of um, you know, Young Henry's and Four Pines and Stone and Wood, uh, Feral, where um, you know you need to get your volume up. You're a national you need to get your volume up to about a million a million litres a year to become profitable but if you can get up there reasonably quickly then you can survive but I don't see too many other models outside of that and um, you know there, there are people who do a bit of both but the, 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 the lone you know guy who wants to start a brewery my advice for him to get into a brew pub get a front of house working really well for him get his cash flow going and, and a great example of that is the guys at Big Shed you know they had a little got a small brewery had a small little brew, uh, brew pub at the front of that they've now opened another bar so then, you know I'd suggest 80% of their volumes going through their two bars and there's some serious good cash in that and uh, good profitability and how about the uh state of quality in, in the beer market. Do you see that it's improving or do you think that there are some breweries opening that maybe aren't quite nailing it yet? Um, I think there's there's still lots of breweries that are, aren't quite nailing it yet. Um, I'd say the quality, I'm not seeing as much bad beer in the marketplace as I probably did a, a year and a half ago. Um, you still come across the occasional infection. Um, but that, again, boils down to you know, how much money the guys have got to put into their lab equipment, how well trained they've been. And, 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 and I talk about it a lot. It's a lot of it is home brewers that are learning the game. And, and to learn the game takes time. And if you haven't got the equipment there that you know how to use to be able to maintain your quality, uh, then it's, it's, it's a hard one. But uh, to me, quality is everything. And uh, maintaining the, the stability of your beer all the way along the line is, is vital to a successful business. It's an interesting question uh, and I, I wonder whether it reflects on this stage we're at in, in craft beer is that you, you would never go to a restaurant um, in, within a week of them opening and if they can't do an omelette you'd sort of go oh look they're just learning or you know they, they're, they're a home chef you know when, when you open a restaurant you need to be getting your food quality um, you know right from day one of course there might be some front of house issues or whatever but the food needs to be pretty much spot on we seem to be a lot more accepting of oh you know the, the brewery's open it'll take them a while to, to, to find their feet. Yeah well, I think part of that is, is not only from a customer point of view but I also think because the um, the bottle shop owner and the, the, the pub owner um, are still learning about craft beer, their palate is probably not as strong as it needs to be, so they're not picking up the issues as well. So you've got a brewer who's, who's still learning, um, putting out beer in the public and tasting thing, oh, he says, oh, that's just craft beer. Mm -hmm. But in sometimes it's probably craft beer, but it's slightly 
infected craft beer or, or something wrong with it. And I think the same with the guys in the bottle shop. And that'll take time for everybody's palate. And it goes back to you know training and tasting and, and getting people to understand the varieties, the wonderful varieties of craft beer, but also starting to understand that there are you know four or five key infections which we all see every day. Mm. That you know as soon as we can eliminate those issues, then uh, I think the industry will be in a better shape. And what's next for Pirate Life? Uh, I know you've got some tanks uh, on order. We're going to see an expansion of the tank farm back there. How much longer do you think you can stay in the existing brewery? Oh, I'll be sometime in... Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be sort of maxed out here sometime in 2000 and, uh, 2018. Uh, so we've got a few plans on the drawing board, but uh, that all boils down to where we can find the capital to, to make all that happen. So um, I think our job is to get uh, get the new the eight new tanks uh, in the system in, uh, in May, June, get them rolling along and then... Uh, and slowly, you know, uh, try to um, you know increase our um, increase a little bit of our export program because I get excited about that. I, I love shipping our beer overseas. Uh, continue to really look after the the bottle shops and pubs that uh, have supported us, which has been terrific. And uh, and then we'll see what happens from there. It's interesting you raise uh, export. Do you think there is a future for exporting beer? It's always one of those things that because of the value proposition that needs to be in beer. Exporting can often, particularly from Australia, which is a high-cost country, uh, it, it can be a tough one to, uh, to, to to crack. Do you think that there is room for you to grow a, a bigger export program? I think there is, and again, it comes back down to quality. And we've, we've been now shipping to the UK for uh, two or three months. We've been over to test the beer at the uh, when each uh, container arrives. Well, Jack and Red were there uh, two weeks ago, and Jack and I went over for their first container. Um, and the fact, I think, the fact that we ship all our beer refrigerated everywhere we go, store it refrigerated, uh, it's holding up pretty well uh, financially. We're on the higher end of the scale, but if uh, you know uh, the Toyotas and the uh, the high, yeah, you know, there's a there's a market out there for you know the sort of medium high quality beer as long as it's really good and consistent, and we're getting you know two or three emails every day from uh, UK companies trying to chase our beer down. So and this the same thing in uh, Hong Kong. Uh, we now you know we got a, a few beers going up there every second week or so, uh, and New Zealand's starting to grow. So there's there is the opportunity there, um, and uh, we'll keep pushing forward as best we can. So quality is a benchmark, but obviously to justify that higher price. You need to have a brand that carries that that price tag. What's the secret to Pirate Life's branding? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I think uh, I think there's a um, I think the name is interesting. I think uh, you know Jack's creation of that in his sleep was a, a pretty good story. Um, I think our packaging is pretty simple. I think the fact that we tell the story of our uh, recipe around the top of the can. Um, I think it's a, a multitude of things, and you know, to, you know, to answer your question, uh, it's a pretty hard one. But I think it's a mixture of three or four different things. Um, the, the beers in cans, it's consistently good, you know, consistent all the time. Uh, people resonate with the name. Um, they love wearing the merchandise. Um, it's a whole package of things. Michael Cameron, thanks very much for your time, and uh, good luck for the rest of 2017. My pleasure. Thank you. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There you go. And that was Michael Cameron. Mate, the people that I love speaking to, you know, there are a lot of great people, but the people that I love speaking to, you know, are the guys that don't get the frightened rabbit eyes when the microphone's in front of them. And uh, yeah, Michael will, will tell you what he thinks. Fair, fair to say, he's never, he's never short yeah, of a word. Yeah, and he tells you what he thinks. It's not just when the, the mic is off. So, uh, Hey, did you manage, did you did you get to try the uh, the apricot Berliner Weiss? I didn't. I actually, Absolute I cracker. did try the Berliner Weiss the night before um, and it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. Did he tell you the story? Uh, no, and I didn't think to ask him. No, well, it started out as a, as, as a throwback, a batch of throwback when the, um, when the power went out in, um, in South Australia. And so it kind of stalled. So they said, "Well, what are we going to do with this? Well, let's just let's just park it." And um, 
Yeah, and it became an apricot blinderbush due to an availability of, you, know, you guys, we've got uh, heaps of beautiful fresh apricots. Do you want some? Actually, <laughs> that'd be perfect. So one of those occasions where, you know, when life gives you lemonade, in this case, uh, lemons, we make lemonade in this case, um, apricots and a, and a blackout, um, and your throwback IPA turns into a, a magnificent apricot blinderbush. That's why we love the craft in craft brewing. Well, and interestingly, you know, as, as, as sort of throwaway a line as that is, it does show that we often talk about, you know, the agility that the smaller brewers have. You know, if, if something messed up in the big brewery, it's just, it's it's down the gurg. Mm. As all that conversation went, they are kicking goals. You know, they've, they've done their own thing. There aren't too many breweries that are launching with a double IPA or even a big IPA as their go-to beer in Australia. There's a lot of golden ales and a lot of those sorts of things. And uh, 80% of their beer in can, everyone else is trying to get uh, beer on tap. We don't have any letters, do we? don't have any uh, cards or letters, but we do have a new sponsor this week. Oh, lovely. Um, it's not Damien Renahan, is it? It is Damien Renahan. Thank you. So, Damien, thank you for coming on as a producer. Uh, you can become a producer as well for as little as uh, $5 a month or a donation, one-off donation of your choice. Or if you really like the show, $10 a month and become an executive producer and help us out. You can also send cards and letters to us at matt at bruisenews.com.au. Leave comment on Facebook or at the end of the show notes, uh, which are going up. Prof, I'm trying to think if, there, if there's anything else that we need to let people know. You can buy merch. We've got those lovely T-shirts and truckers caps if you're interested in buying one of those. Um, we did talk last week, Prof, about possible guests. Uh, and we have Bart Watson from the Brewers Association in the States, uh, who's about to go into the American Craft Brewers Conference um, and he's going to speak to us afterwards so that's uh, teed up so you will get to hear his discussion about whether there is a craft beer, craft brewery uh, or indeed any form of beer bubble at all um, as well as some of the other metrics that are going on in the US. I think that's about it. You can leave feedback on iTunes or your favourite podcasting app. That's about all I've got to say Prof. That's about all of the uh, formalities and the uh, housekeeping. All done. What are you up to this week? Um, Nothing this week. Nothing this week? No. Uh, school holidays? Yeah. You'll be away with the family next week, Prof. Are we going to have to track you down on Phillip Island or? No, no, we're back by then. Back by then. Perfect. Yeah, okay. no, just down, down for the weekend. Well, look forward to chatting and look forward to reporting back on Hawks Beer. I'm off on a, another P&O food and wine cruise um, doing some beer tasting, so I'll be able to report back on that. Fair Star, the froth ship. Ah, was it? But see, Fair Star's not even about it. I think that's razor blades these days. It's uh, oh, could be. It's a Pacific Aria. Um, I'm on, which is a lovely shout out to P&O. Um, very much enjoying uh, being on cruises. There you go. You'll be crooning in the lounge next in a <laughs> satin jacket. Uh, mate, I'll see if I can get you a gig on the stand-up cruises. Done. Or we could do cooking, beer and... Because it's, it's cooking demonstrations. We can uh, get you as, a, yeah, uh, you know, as an that. Australian barbecue team member. Yeah, there we go. Okay, probably well, should uh, ask Chris Luxton because he's, you know, he's, he's the local guy. He's to, always should ask the local. Well, I, I'm uh, doing something with Chris uh, during Bruce Vegas. Uh, did a uh, beer, beef and uh, barbecue thing with Chris and he broke down a four quarter of beef, which was fantastic. And I'm uh, looking at doing some work with him uh, soon. Excellent. With the birds, wasn't it? It was with the two birds, yeah. So we uh, matched a few uh, beers to some uh, beef and barbecue and uh, the Sunset Ale is a lovely beer to go with uh, uh, beef. It is. But anyway, Prof, we're out of here. Great to chat and look forward to chatting again with you next week. See you next week. Thank you for uh, joining us once again. And uh, Prof, the the traffic's been going really, really strongly. So uh, people seem to have been thirsting for us while we were gone. So uh, (laughs) if if you are listening out there, let us know what you'd like to hear and uh, keep us honest. And we're out.